I'd like to talk about samatha meditation or calm, collected abiding. I'd like to begin by reading a quote from Larry Rosenberg's book, Breath by Breath. One time when I was visiting a friend, he kept playing with his dog, throwing a plastic bone for the dog to go fetch. It not only wasn't a real bone, it wasn't even a a convincing fake. Pieces of meat were painted on the plastic. Yet no matter how many times he threw the bone, the dog ran after it with great excitement. He kept chasing this plastic bone, which had no nourishment whatsoever, as if it could somehow satisfy him. Suddenly I realized, that's my mind chasing after thoughts. The mind doesn't think it's chasing a plastic bone with pieces of meat painted on it, of course. It thinks it's pursuing something that will have a vital effect on its life. But if we look more closely at the objects that the mind chases, we notice a similar lack of nourishment. In contrast to that, think of a lion. Can you imagine how a lion, sitting in that majestic way they have, would react if you threw him a bone, especially a plastic one? He wouldn't even notice. He'd just stare at you. Lions stay focused on the source. That's the attitude we need to have. Sitting with that calm, that steadiness of purpose, not chasing every, after every bone that flies our way. We need to develop lion mind. In our tradition here, when we look at different kinds of meditation, we can distinguish mainly two types. One is samatha meditation, the other is vipassana meditation. And one way of telling them apart is to look at their predominant feature. In samatha, it is collectedness, concentration, calm, serenity, focus. In Vipassana, it's mindful, clear seeing, investigation, leading to insight and wisdom. So samatha could be characterized by pausing, stopping, innehalten, Vipassana by looking, seeing. Samatha allows for calm, serenity, Vipassana does the investigating of the nature of things. Samatha provides the focus, Vipassana the clear seeing. And tonight I'd like to talk about Samatha, meditation of collectedness, of one-pointedness, of calm abiding and uh, of absorption. When we focus on the phrases and their meaning in metta 
as we do this week, or when we focus on the breath alone, then that can be said to be a samatha meditation. Collectedness, samlong, or concentration, the ability to collect and focus, really is part of the basic makeup of our mind. We all have that capacity in our mind. Singling out parts out of the mass of sense data we receive and then holding the attention on this one specific object or on a part of an object or of an experience. It's the basic function. It's a basic capacity of our mind. Let's say we can face a big tree and then single out one branch on that tree or even just one leaf and hold our attention on that for a given duration of time. Or we can listen to someone who is talking to us quite one-pointedly for a longer time, provided we find what is being said interesting or important enough for us. Or we can read a fascinating book for hours. In our meditation practice, we connect in a way with that natural ability and develop and strengthen it. When there is more and more steady and continuous mindfulness of or connection with one particular object, be it the phrases of metta, the person to whom the metta is directed, or be it the breath or whatever, the quality or the mental factor of collectedness or concentration begins to arise, becomes stronger. The actual definition of this quality thus is simply collectedness is a quality of heart and mind capable of dwelling one-pointedly on an object for a sustained duration of time. In Buddhist terminology, this is called samadhi, different from the use of the word uh, samadhi in in Hindu um, terminology. Samadhi means collectedness. This kind of Collectedness in and of itself is what is called an unspecified quality of the mind. And that simply means it can be ethically or morally wholesome, positive, can be unwholesome or negative, or it can be neutral, depending on the other qualities or factors of the heart and mind it is associated with, that are present at the same time with that capacity of collectedness. For example, when a hunter is one-pointedly stalking, aiming, shooting a deer with the intention to kill, then the concentration associated with this mind state of, of violence is unwholesome is negative, is unskillful. 
perpetuates aggressiveness, destructive tendencies, and leads to great suffering in that mind, in that person. And when it is paired with strong concentration, then the negative effects get stronger too. Or when, for example, someone is studying a map quite one-pointedly because they want to go from here to Interlaken, and probably that concentration is quite neutral. There's no special good or bad intention in the mind while consulting the map. <clears throat> it's functional. So there's not much consequences other than finding out how to get to Interlaken, which can be useful. <clears throat> now when someone is concentrated on kind wishes of metta or of compassion, or one is quite one-pointedly, let's say, cooking a meal, intending to feed 80, 80 hungry meditators and staff at the retreat, then that collectedness <clears throat> associated with this mind state is wholesome, is positive, and leads to happy results or effects in that person. Again, when these skillful states are married with very strong collectedness, then the positive effect in the mind is magnified too. When this quality of collectedness is developed on the proper object in conjunction with wholesome mind factors such as kindness, <clears throat> such as right mindfulness, such as other Brahma-viharas like compassion or sympathetic joy or whatever, it becomes so-called appropriate or right concentration, samma-samadhi. And the samma-samadhi, it is one of the eight aspects of the Noble Eightfold Path taught by the Buddha. To practice collectedness in a skillful way is quite an art for most people. Sharon Salzberg, in her book A Heart as Wide as the World, gives a great description of this art. And I'll just read from the book. In the practice of collectedness, we place the awareness on a single object, such as the inhalation and exhalation of the breath or the phrases of loving-kindness, and we let go of everything else that passes through our mental and physical senses. There's almost a sense of cherishing the object of collectedness. Sometimes it is as if we are protecting it, but we never need to clutch it tightly or grimly. We simply practice with the quality of devotion. Devoted to the chosen object of our concentration, we stay connected to it, gently letting go of whatever distracts us from it. 
Michelangelo was once asked how he would carve an elephant. He replied, I would take a large piece of stone and take away everything that was not the elephant. Developing the force of concentration is simply seeing what is not the elephant and letting it go. The art of collectedness is a continual letting go. We let go of what of that which is inessential or distracting. We let go of a thought or a feeling not because we're afraid of it or because we can't bear to acknowledge it as part of our experience, but because it is unnecessary at this point in time, at this moment. So that's what we're doing here. When we focus on the metaphrases. That's what you do when developing concentration, samatha, with the breath. So let go of everything else except for the object, the chosen object of attention. It does take some renunciation Entsagung, very unfashionable word. Meditation always does, at first at least. We're in the habit of thinking about a million things and we're convinced that they're important. They convince us. I don't know if you've noticed when we manage to get more collected and there's less thoughts, the thoughts often have this little tag on them. It says, very important thought. <laughs> they become more important. And yet we have to give them up over and over again. Let them go. And instead we hold the object. Whatever the object, the chosen object is. Like the image of holding a baby we have to hold babies firmly, decidedly, so they won't fall. And yet we have to hold them gently, softly, so as not to hurt them. So we hold the object, the metaphrases, the breath with great care and devotion. And yet without tightness, without forcing. And we let go over and over again of what is not the object. In this way, in time, we get to a place of settledness, of calm, of restful yet wakeful presence. I like the word samatha, which actually means calm abiding, or in Tibetan, shine, which means peaceful abiding gives a somewhat different sense than the word concentration. It implies not struggling or striving, but finding a home in the breath, in the metta. It's a different sense. In terms of what we have to let go of, it is often what is known as the five hindrances, the fünf Hemnisse. 
This refers to a number of difficult emotions and mind states. They are sense desire or attachment, verlangen, ill, ill will, aversion, all forms of abneigung, drowsiness, sleepiness, and it's restlessness, agitation, and worry. And it's skeptical doubt, zweifel, the undecided, wavering mind. And I assume you're all somewhat familiar with them. When they are active, they delude or torment the heart and mind. Die täuschen und oder quälen Herz und Geist. They obstruct clear seeing and they create an unpleasant or even painful inner environment. Desire. It's this sense of needing something we don't have. And at times in the meditation it's anything you know, anything. We don't even know what we want, but give me something. The restless looking for fulfillment in an object or in a person or in a fantasy. Any experience that promises pleasure and fulfillment. It's the lack of contentment with what is. Attachment, craving, greed, wanting, longing, and all the rest. Number two is all forms of aversion. It's the opposite. Not wanting what we have. Wishing to get rid of it. Anything, dis anything unpleasant, disliking it, hating it, avoiding it, fearing it, suppressing it. Hatred, anger, irritation, and all the rest. And number three is sleepiness and heaviness, drowsiness, dullness. Also includes laziness. Quite obvious to many of us, I'm afraid. And I just want to uh, remind you, or if we haven't mentioned it to those who don't know, um, when sleepiness is there, and it does happen at times. You can open the eyes. That may help. You can take some deep breaths. You can put the, your hands on the head. Gives a little more inner space. Sometimes we become more wakeful. The eyes open. Or you can stand up. Stand for a while with open eyes. Stand for five, ten minutes. And if you feel, when you feel that it's past, uh, sit down. And it's fine to stand in the hall sometimes when you feel. That would be really helpful. Number four, again, it's opposite. Restlessness, agitation, worry. Agitation in the body, in the heart, in the mind. Being worried, being excited, being anxious, brooding, feeling sorry. Seemingly unable to sit or walk even for one more second. 
You know, it's like we're trying to see if we can see our watch. We can't, and then we look with it. Maybe we can see it with the person in front. And then when we see the watch, it's like, no. <laughs> It should have rung already, but it's still 32 minutes to go. Number five, doubt. Doubting our own capacity and ability to do this. We look around, everybody's so still, and we know they've all done it for years except me. <laughs> this is much too difficult for me. Doubting the method. You know, they, they sit like vegetables in here. <laughs> it's kind of absurd. And then you look outside, you know, walking like zombies up and down, up and down. Can't be good. And repeating the same old phrases like parrots, you know, can't be useful. Doubting the teachers, you know, by now two of them can't even sit cross-legged. <laughs> so, one left. They have, no, they have no titles, you know, no Rinpoches, no Swamis, no Ma. You know, if at least they were like Carol Mahama. <laughs> Olama Ursula, <laughs> Freddy Swami. No costumes. I mean, at least Carol has a shawl that looks a little bit like something. <laughs> yeah, who are they? You know, I mean, what do they know anyway? So it's doubting oneself, doubting the method, doubting the teacher. Thou can send us packing and leaving the retreat. If we don't realize, it was just doubt. Doubting mind, going back, going forward, going back. And then, of course, when it gets pleasant, and suddenly it's calm for a moment, then the opposite happens. We begin to plan a three-month retreat, or the three years <laughs> retreat. <laughs> so it's desire, aversion, Sleepiness, restlessness, doubt. There's a well-known illustration by the Buddha. And in this illustration, these five uh, qualities are like different editions or states which a body of otherwise clear water can be in. Sense desire said to be like water with different colors added to it that makes it very attractive. Ill will is like boiling water. Sleepiness, drowsiness is like stagnating moss-covered water. Restlessness and worry is similar to water that is agitated and moved by a strong wind. And skeptical doubt is like murky, muddy water. And on that kind of water we cannot see the reflection of the sky, the moon or whatever, and it will be impossible to see through it, to see to the ground of it. Now there's a very interesting, actually quite amazing process that happens. 
the qualities of collectedness and calm abiding, when developed, cause the same thing to happen as when the kids who played in the waters of, say, a forest pool, and they leave the pond, when the wind subsides, the waves disappear, and the water gets calm, the surface gets placid, water gets transparent. It's the sand, it's the mud settles on the ground. Collectedness, in fact, can do more than that. It actually can temporarily suppress, suspend the five hindrances completely. That is as long as the collectedness lasts. So it's pushing them away so they don't function, they don't appear as long as the mind is collected. Some of us might think, oh, I never experienced this in my meditation. But in fact, most of us have experienced that the first day of a retreat can be very difficult, sleepy, restless, irritable, or all in a multi-pack. We would rather be somewhere else than here. But within two, three days, we start to settle in. And people say, they report in the second interview group, they say, oh, it's become easier, it's become calmer, there's less resistance, We're doing the same thing, but somehow something has changed. This settling in is already an effect of the calmer and somewhat more collected mind. Weakening the hindrances somewhat. What it takes to deepen that collected, calm, abiding is to connect and then sustain the contact with the object. With the phrases, with the person we sent the phrases to, over and over and over and over and over again, morning, noon and night. So we recite the phrases of metta, and I'm repeating myself here, in a way that is not mechanical, but connected as much as we can. We know what we're saying, what the words mean, as much as we can, sometimes we just can't remember. And we connect to the person, or hold an image, or a felt sense of their presence, or we say their name, if that helps, something to connect, connect, connect. And this we do with as much continuity as possible, over and over again, untiringly. Not just in the formal sittings, but while getting up, while dressing, while showering, while eating, while going to the toilet. Continuity is really is the key. The key is not forcing our willpower. It's really continuity. It's like this well-known illustration of the pot of water we want to bring to a boiling. We put the water on the stove, and we turn on the heat quite high for quite a while, and then we turn it off, and we wait for a while. Then we turn the heat on again, and it gets warm, and then we turn it off again. We wait, it cools down, then we turn it on, then we turn it off. 
it never gets very hot. You know, we turn it on, then we need a break, then we turn it on, then we go for another walk, then we turn it on, then to, to see if we can stay contact, contact, contact. Continuity, even with a little less heat in the case of making hot water, is necessary, and that will eventually do the job. If we want to do this all day long, we need to do it gently and kindly, even playfully, which can still be quite impeccable. Playful doesn't mean lazy or undisciplined. But if we force and get grim, it won't work so well. We'll get all uptight. So it's gentle continuity that is needed. In deepening the collectedness and in absorbing the mind in the object, there are five factors or qualities of the mind at work. They're called factors of absorption or jhana factors. And they are, first one is applied attention, angewandte Aufmerksamkeit. Vitaka. And the second one is sustained attention or hold, holding the contact that we make in the first place. Andauende Aufmerksamkeit. <clears throat> Sometimes the first one is called aiming and the second one is called rubbing. Maybe you can remember that more easily. Third is interest joy, or even bliss. Fourth is happiness. Fifth is one-pointedness, Einsgerichtetheit. <clears throat> the first one, vitaka, or aiming, or applied attention, is that which aims and throws the mind on the object, on the phrases of metta, the image of the person, the meaning of the word, or if it were develop concentration with the breath, then it would be going to the experience of breathing. It's the aiming, going there, connecting, contacting. While the second one, which are at the sustained attention, sustains the, mind, the mind's contact with that object. And there's a number of illustrations that are given. And I think especially these first two are really helpful to remember and to, to see how they work. The first is like striking a bell, and the second is like its reverberation. The sound continues after the striking. Vitakas, the first one is like a bird's initial flapping of the wings, and the second vichara is like the smooth flight sailing. So the first one is the more initial effort. And the second one is what keeps it going. First one is like a hand that grasps a dish, and the second one is like the hand that wraps the dish. Both very obviously factors of mind that are very relevant in our meditation, relevant for the cultivation of collectedness.
very helpful over and over to make a clear effort to contact the object, to really connect to the object. It's equally important to stay connected as much as we can with the object, with the phrases, with the sense of metta, with the person. That means we first aim to say the phrases, say them properly, say them in the right order. Then more and more we keep connected to them, know what they're saying, and increasingly connect to their meaning, and that becomes easier, flows more easily. Become more clear, more crisp somehow. Takes less effort. Maybe like a heavy, heavy wheel you have to set in motion. First it takes a lot of effort to move it until it starts turning. And then as it turns, it takes a lot less. It can go like this and it keeps on turning. <coughs> in this way, the connection to the object grows, which is another way of saying concentration deepens. And of course, it's not linear progress, as we all know, but it's up and down progress. Generally, gets better, but there's no way of saying how, how fast, how steep, how deep. When that begins to happen, the next, the third factor arises, and it's interest. First, it's interest, and it becomes fascination, and even joy or rapture. Can, when the collectedness is very deep, become quite intense. To our meditation here might not always or not often be blissful. It's very helpful to remember that it is possible to create interest. It's something we can do something to help it. There's a close link between the fullness of our attention on one hand and interest to really try it out. Interest is a quality of the mind, not the quality of the object. It's not that the breath is interesting or the walking up and down or the metaphrase in itself. Uh, it's our relationship to what we're focused on that makes either interest arise when it's a devoted relationship or makes boredom arise if it's a bland kind of surface relationship. <coughs> so whenever you notice that there's a lack of interest, that there's boredom, it's probably a sign telling you that in some way or other you're half-hearted at this moment. You're mechanical, you're on the surface of things. When you, you know, you say the phrases and they flow quite smoothly, you remember after a while, oh, they're flowing quite smoothly by themselves. <laughs> or you try to have them go, but it's like, We've, we've said them a few times already, so it's like, oh, God. 
the mind doesn't really invest anymore and then boredom comes about. So making the effort to be total, to be wholehearted again, will not instantly, but in time bring up, renew interest again, the quality of interest in the mind. And in the practice of collectedness, when the continuity is sustained and deepened, happiness or sukha will arise. It's the fourth of these factors. It's a smoother, calmer, mellower, but deeper kind of joy. And there's an illustration that says the first one, this interest or rapture, is like when a person obtains a desirable object, the first kind of flash, excited joy. And the second one is like the happiness when the person can enjoy that object. It is applied, applied attention, the first, sustained attention, the second, interest and even rapture, then is happiness. Eventually, less effort is needed to sustain the focus on the object and one gets so collected that the fascination, the rapture cools out, and even happiness is left behind. And the fifth factor of one-pointedness comes to the foreground. One-pointedness, a kakata, is a mental factor common to all states of deep collectedness. It has been compared to a steady flame in a windless place or a firmly fixed pillar that cannot be shaken. Or it's like the water that binds together several substances to form one concrete compound. A kakata causes the mind to be totally focused on the object and causes unwavering stability in the object. With it arises equanimity, which in a way could be said to be the corresponding emotional stability and equipoise. So it's the development and strengthening of these five factors, the qualities of mind, that bring about deep collectedness and when further developed eventually result in absorption or jhana. The number of levels of depth, even in these states of absorption, and there's quite some literature available on this for anyone interested in more information. It is said that after having mastered those jhanas, some very gifted and determined yoginis or yogis can develop what is called psychic powers, iti or siddhi. My Indian Vipassana teacher, Manindraji, taught this kind of practice to, this practice of psychic powers, to Dipama, a very extraordinary woman, yogini, Indian woman, who had the kind of mind able to actually practice and realize this yogic achievement. The stories we hear of her abilities are quite wonderful and quite mind-boggling too. 
I won't tell the stories that Munindraji has told. But there's a book out on uh, Dipama that uh, is very interesting to read about. So I'd be recommending that reading. Very obviously, all this takes either very unusual minds, very powerful minds, and or great commitment to long-term practice. Yet deepening collectedness of mind, sharpening one's focus, steadying one's mind, even though this is always very extremely beneficial, it doesn't have the power to uproot unwholesome states of mind like the hindrances. It doesn't have the power to liberate us from hindrances, and misperceiving and tormenting factors of heart and mind. It's a wonderful, powerful tool to deepen our heart qualities such as metta or compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity. And it's a powerful tool that enables us to practice insight meditation, vipassana, in a much more effective and deep way, in a way that can be truly freeing and liberating. So we have these wonderful teachings and we have all the necessary support here from the cooks and the manager and the maintenance and the housekeeping people, the teachers from the environment, place up here. It's a fabulous opportunity and situation we have here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.